Welcome to Mostly Books Meets. We're the team at Mostly Books, an award-winning independent bookshop in Abingdon. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to authors, journalists, poets, and a range of professionals from the world of publishing. We'll be asking about the books that are special to them, from childhood favourites to the book that changed their life, and we hope you'll join us for the journey. Great pleasure to welcome onto the podcast this week children's book dream team Greg James and Chris Smith. In 2017, they launched onto shelves with the hilarious Kid Normal, which quickly went on to become a bestseller. Since then, they have penned three more Kid Normal books, The Great Dream Robbery, and their latest book, Super Ghost. When they're not writing, they both like to relax by dabbling in a bit of radio. Greg, Chris, welcome to Mostly Books Meets. Thanks for having us. Jack, it's a pleasure. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, Absolute pleasure. Now, usually on the um, podcast, we like to talk to people about, you know, their experiences with with reading, with books, um, what sort of got them into writing and what got them into into reading. Now, Chris, am I right in saying from a young age, you're always quite into your writing and storytelling is that is that correct absolutely i mean it's a it's a triumphant story uh when i was when i was eight years old uh i come from northamptonshire and of course he bates is our is our kind of is our kind of local hero who grew up around um high and ferris which is just near where i grew up and there's an he bates short story competition which is run i think is still hopefully still a thing run by the local council and um i triumphed I think that's not too strong a word. In the uh, in the under ten section of the competition, Fantastic. with my tale about a uh, dinosaur that loved stealing biscuits, uh, I featured in the Northamptonshire Evening Telegraph, and oh, and, wow. and really, I feel like the rest is history. Like my yes. future was nailed on as an author from then. Absolutely. How did you deal with celebrity from such a young age? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it was my life changed overnight, really, because the, uh, <laughs> the head teacher ra- uh, read the story out in front of the school the next oh, day. Wow. Um, and you know, as I say, you know, the picture in the newspaper, and this was, by the way, back in the early 1980s when they would simply print your name and address in the newspaper, which I don't think happens anymore. <laughs> uh, and really, it's just been it's been nonstop, you know, paparazzi, book signings, uh, spats on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, yes, Puffin actually signed Chris up when he, when he was 10 years old. Oh wow! Um, okay. So they, they've been sort of. Uh, just keeping an eye on him ever since. He's been on a retainer since then. Yes, just haven't had any ideas since yeah. then. No, no. <laughs> it could take <laughs> it a while. It come good, though. <laughs> it could take a while sometimes. Um, and what about um, what about you, Greg? What was your, you know, were you much into reading when you were younger or? I was, yeah, absolutely. I was very lucky, like Chris was, to, to grow up in a house full of books and full of people that could read really well. Um, my mum and dad were both avid readers and there was always a story on. There was always a, a book being read by somebody. And yeah, I was encouraged to read out loud. And I really okay, loved yeah. acting out things and coming up with my own little stories. But also mainly it was it was a fun household. So it was d- doing little sketches or skits and things. I remember writing just silly jokes down or uh, or just reciting bits of comedy to my mum or dad that they'd showed me like bits of dad's army or something just like silly things so it was always it was, it was quite a it was quite a fun place to grow up the house um uh my house back in the day and and yeah and just and, and discovered 
reading for pleasure, I guess, um, when I was really young, for uh, sort of eight or nine, I guess, the, the kids that we write our books for. So we remember what it's like to have, to feel your first book in your hand and yes and how exciting it is and you just go wow this is sort of overwhelmingly beautiful i remember there was a copy of the secret garden which i think my sister had and then passed to me because she was a bit older but i remember having it and feeling like wow this is someone made this beautiful thing it's amazing so yeah and we uh, books were all around and we're very happy i was very i feel very lucky to say that and that's why we like to do what we do now is we want to make sure that kids still have Lots of nice things around to, to read. Yes, those stories that, you know, grab their attention and, you know, keep keep them keep them reading. And as well as you've mentioned The Secret Garden, but for, for both of you, were there any titles from that, you know, from your childhood that you sort of particularly remember engaging with and, you know, really had a, a an effect on you? I remember reading, uh, I had a copy of um, Finn Family Moomin Troll, by uh, by Tuva Jansen, yeah, and uh, I've remained a, a big Moomin fan into into adulthood as well. <laughs> but um, this particular edition, which I, I didn't realize at the time, but obviously had been translated into English, and at the beginning there was a there was a letter written as if from Moomin Mama. <laughs> Not, I'm quite sure whether saying Moomin Mama or Moomin Mama, <laughs> but um, from from Moomin Mama, sort of introducing the Moomins to their readers in the UK. And okay. she said, Oh, I hear that you were, uh, I, I hear that you were, you have a queen who lives in a palace of gold. And I thought it was just amazing that this sort of strange hippopotamus like creature from the forests of Finland had, as, had, as my young brain thought, written me a letter at the beginning of a book about her family. That made a real massive impression yeah. on me. I think I, well, weirdly, you just ignited a memory of, of mine. And I remember the first time a book literally spoke to me, which was the Jolly Christmas Postman. <laughs> and, it had, with the flaps? Uh, and it had lots of flaps yeah. and little letters and things in it. And I, I really loved the idea. And we still love the idea of a book talking to you. It's sweet, isn't it? And, that, and the way we write our books tends to be very personal. We narrate to the readers and we'll break the fourth wall and we'll say, hope you're okay and check up on them and say, give them a, you know, a, a boring dream guarantee from the last book. And we, we address the readers personally. And I think maybe it probably comes from that. It's, it's a nice feeling to have a book come to life and speak to you and say, hello, come and read us. We're, it's not scary. This is a fun place to hang out. Absolutely. And I don't think you can really put an age on that really as well, because I feel I still read books now that maybe have a moment where it sort of addresses the reader and you sort of... Mm. Yeah, but it works. It, it, what, what works, what is grist to the mill for uh, Finn Family Moomin Troll, works equally well in the French Lieutenant's Woman, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although some exactly. may disagree. Yeah. <laughs> well, I may, I may get into trouble omitting uh, this, but the, the owner of the shop, Sarah, dislikes Moomins quite strongly, um, oh, which, yes, I know, the faces that you're pulling there, I completely agree with. And there's been a few discussions had about <laughs> about the position of Moomins within our shop. So, um, yes, yeah. I think I think some people in the United Kingdom were traumatized by the 1970s, I guess, um, fuzzy felt style animation of the Moomins that was on the TV, which uh, I think yes. I think may have slightly freaked out some children, mm -hmm. and it's uh, prejudiced people against Moomins to this day. But I urge you to, if you if you are one of those people. I urge you to get past it and, and discover the wonderful books and, and try and try and get fuzzy felts and stop motion animation out of your head and your nightmares yes, yeah. if you can. 
I feel it's the same with people who, obviously, the book is pretty harrowing as well, but people who saw the animation of Watership Down as well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I feel that that stays with you. That's a memory that you carry You've with you. You've got to give a trigger warning, Jack, when you talk about yes. the animation of Watership Down. Be careful. That was that was deeply traumatizing. I remember being at a, uh, um, I, I think my um, my parents were having some sort of meeting to do with the church, and all and loads of kids were there, and they they put us in the other room, you know, and said, to, "Oh, we'll put a nice film on for them," and put Watership Down on there. Hmm. And I think everyone was just like picking up their weeping children two hours later. <laughs> like, oh, what happened to Fiverr? He's gone to join the Black Rabbit Owlsler. It's one of the saddest things ever done. Oh, it's. It's a deeply tragic book, but um, that's the joy of reading for you, the the variety that's out there. Um, now, obviously, you're you're both very busy people, um, but in terms of reading today, sort of bringing us to the present, are there any books that you've read recently, by your own, of course, that have stood out to you that you've really enjoyed that you would you would recommend to other people out there? I like the I like the fact you've you've felt the need to say by your own as if we were just going to be very yeah. and go, well the best book I've read recently is, is, is our own book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean the the pandemic was obviously horrific for lots of things, but uh, on the flip side, there was lots of time to read books, wasn't there? Which was kind of nice. And um, I read I read a couple of couple of books. I'm I'm a great rereader. I know I've really enjoyed a book if I read it and then go straight back to the beginning and read it again. And I did that during the pandemic with two things, one of which was I Capture the Castle um, by yeah. Dodie Smith, which I thought was just uh, absolutely brilliant and just so, so meticulously crafted. And I've since, you know, read a little bit about how, how meticulously she did craft every single sentence in that book. But I just thought it was absolutely wonderful. I got a bit obsessed with Topaz, her very cool stepmother who goes and dances naked around a castle at night, yeah, which, you know, we've all done. We've <laughs> oh, all done, especially during the pandemic. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing I the other thing I really enjoyed, and, and, and I'm now rereading the entire series, which is a series that I'd meant to get to and had never quite managed to kind of get through the slightly wordy language at the beginning, which is the Master and Commander series by um, oh, Patrick yes. O'Brien, uh, which I... I do not understand why it is not a Netflix series yet. I know there was a great film with Russell Crowe. You should write it. But there's so much yes. in the there's so much in the Master and Commander series, and it's just so brilliantly done. And there's kind of Bridgerton style rompy bits, <gasps> and there's there's international spying, and there's obviously you know you've got the Master and Commander like ship battles and stuff, and the and the the relationship between the two characters, Jack and Stephen, sort of the the bluff sea captain and the and the Doctor who's also a secret agent. Going on so you know so brilliantly through several several books, uh, I just I love it. I become a little bit of a a little bit of an obsessive about those. I think you need to commit that to paper. It sounds like you're having a great time with it. Yeah, I love it. Come on, yeah, write it. Okay, you should write it for Netflix. Okay, well if Netflix are listening, I'm more <laughs> than happy to do so. Or maybe maybe we don't want to ruin all our favourite books by making sort of bad TV versions of them. Yeah, but I'd make a brilliant TV version of it, Greg. Yeah, but you have so much pressure. Yeah, true. In uh, in don't ruining it for yourself. Okay. What have I read recently? I read. Uh, I really enjoyed Hamnet recently. I, I read that. Yeah. And that's that's been one of the smashes of the last couple of years, isn't it? I thought that was incredibly beautifully done. And yes, the the way she writes is sort of extraordinary. You you are. It's a cliche to say that you're transported to that time, but you really are. You are really in those narrow, slightly dirty, crowded streets, aren't you? And in, in Stratford and. I loved that. I thought it was wonderful. And also just great to see a different perspective, albeit a made-up perspective, <laughs> of um, the other side of William Shakespeare's life. 
Also, it's not a classic summer holiday read, but I did sort of bleak myself out a bit by reading The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, yes. I'd actually never read it before. And there were, I saw, I saw a list of, of Penguin, a hundred punk books to read before you die or whatever. Oh, yes. And I thought, I'm going to do a little bit of a Christmas and reread some that I'd read at school or when I was younger. But also there's a load of books on there that I hadn't even touched, just some proper classics. So I'm going to try and do that. That's my aim to do it before I'm 40, which is three and a bit years away. So I'm going to try and get through. It's quite, it's quite a tough ask, maybe. No. Some, some of them are quite long. <laughs> I mean, you might just sit up yeah. late. Yeah, I think War and Peace is on there. But um, I, I, I read The Handmaid's Tale and I'd actually never seen the series. I'd never read the book before, knew roughly what it was about. And I thought it was just beyond incredible. I, I loved it. And I was obviously saddened by it all, but I loved, I loved how intimate it felt. I felt like you're just really, I mean, you are literally reading a diary entry, but it's, um, it, it felt, it's just very visceral descriptions of, of the world that they're living in. And you really, you just, this, um, this amazing picture is painted in your mind. There's my feel-good book of the week. Yeah, <laughs> it's Handmaid's Tale by Margaret. Yes, and it's, um, yeah, I always love the fact that, yes, as you say, it's very intimate, you know, you're following this one person, but then there's that last chapter that kind of blows it open. Yeah. So it's a completely different perspective, and it, it's just, a, yeah. Yeah, it's just I'd, I'd never come across that before until I'd read that book. And Yeah, the horrible been, sort of hypocrisy of, yeah. of how people tell historical tales and yes. how they tend to favor the the male figures and how they tend to flower up really sort of disgusting despicable moments and they go well it was all part of history yeah. that's why it's, it's fine to talk about it now but i was and you go i was living that a minute ago you do you don't care about her books have that wonderful ability of yeah just kind of putting you in a completely different perspective and you know really changing changing how you view things and i think i think that can stay with you for a for for a long time mm-hmm. yeah bella, i was on holiday with bella and she said so you finished that then did you enjoy it i went i didn't want to say enjoy yeah, it's probably too strong a word <laughs> yeah i said but i do hate men <laughs> very good and um you say you've got three what was it three something years to finish that li- how many books do you still have on that list oh well i mean i've uh 97 books remaining. I think it's all right to admit books that you haven't read, though. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it feels like you see those books you must read before you're, you know, whatever age, or, you know, these are the classes. We always, you know, when we're talking to to kids about about reading and encouraging them to read, it's really important not to be too prescriptive about Mm. it. If you don't enjoy a book, even if it's like hailed as a classic, it's okay. Yeah. And if you haven't read War and Peace, it's all right. But also we, we do a lot of, that's a great point from Chris, is that we do a lot of work with kids at schools. We do assemblies or we do shows yeah. at book festivals or wherever. And whatever you're reading is good. It's a good thing. Getting yeah. new words into your brain is excellent. So if you are, I, I remember feeling overwhelmed with the amount of things that I had to read for school. And then at the, at the same time going, oh, well, I quite like reading. It's sort of ruining reading because I, I'm going home and, I don't want to read that now because I'm still annotating To Kill a Mockingbird. Great book, by the way. But And I'll reread it now with, with some distance and enjoy it in a yes. whole different way. And remember my English teacher doing Atticus Finch's voice. And he'll, that would be in my head forever. But 
it, that, that we just say whatever you're enjoying reading is 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 great whether it is an autobiography or whether it is a kid's book and you're an adult yeah. you can pick up anything and, and read it as long as you're enjoying it there's no no one's examining you as you go through life mm. yeah i was talking to uh once to someone who works for um world book day and yeah they were saying that you know the studies have shown the be- the best way to keep kids reading is to let them choose what, they, what mm. they want to read and to not be you know say oh well that book you know maybe you know maybe it's a bit too old for you or that book's yeah. a bit too young for you you know it doesn't matter the the, yeah. the point is the enjoyment there's no there's no kind of age on that or you know yeah i love yeah i love travel books yeah I love, I love travel guides mm. just guides there, there's there's a, an amazing one an old one that i found of um of venice went to venice recently and I'll, I'll find the title because it's a great, re- it's a good recommendation for your listeners because it's beautiful old account of Venice from the fifties. Uh, but similarly, as a kid, one of my absolute teenage obsessions was Bill Bryson. I loved oh, it. Yes. I used to when yeah, we yeah. went on family holidays, I would sit with a Bill Bryson and sort of wish I was in small town America or wherever, and we were sat in Alicante Airport. But it was, I, I love all those sorts of books that just they literally take you somewhere else to a very specific location as well. Here's another uh, here's another great idea yeah. to go with the uh, to go with the Netflix series of Master and Commander. Please, um, I was I was talking to a friend of mine who works for uh, Lonely Planet. Other, oh yeah, other travel books are available. <laughs> um, but he said in their archives there are obviously all these these old travel guides from places that you can't really visit anymore. Right, you know, uh, there's conflict going on or whatever. So you know, it's a, when you used to be able to go as a as a tourist to Syria. Yeah, you know, and I said, oh, how interesting to to read what people would have done yes, and, you know yeah, what the recommendations absolutely. would have been if you were able to visit and hopefully people will again but you know to, to visit syria so i said you should have an archive of like the places people used to go with their yeah. lonely planets like back in the day when you and you no longer can do that there's an amazing bookshop towards what's the road in london near green park station near um near the ritz what's that road called um piccadilly just around there, there's, there's an absolutely mad old bookshop which basically spe- uh, specialises in maps and old travel guides oh, downstairs. Nice. And they have lots of printed maps and framed things, but they've also got really dusty old travel guides of 19th century Paris or you know 18th century Venice or whatever. And there's just some completely ridiculous uh, gems that you can find. I picked one of these books up because we were going to Paris for the weekend and I thought it would be a nice present for my wife because we were going for Christmas. And I said to the guy, oh, this looks amazing. How much is this? And he went, mm, that's 450 pounds. I'm like, that's an original. Yes, there were two companies who used to make these back in the day. And, but, and I went, okay, pop that down. But uh, there's some, there's some, but just sitting in a, being in a bookshop, as you know, is obviously a wonderful place to be. Yes. You should have um, got a discount because it's out of date. <laughs> yeah, like, this doesn't have the metro on it. Yeah. This is ridiculous. He's, this has got times for hot air balloons. <laughs> it's no use to me. I can't book this restaurant anymore. What's the point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, we. well, we do. I'd like to say to our listeners, we do have maps at our bookshop as well, although it is, <laughs> it is just the OS map. Best. Of the Vale of the White Horse, so it's not it's not quite the same, but um, but they are they are available, yeah. and so you enjoy your your sort of travel reading. Are there any other sort of uh, genres, um, Chris? For you, are there any other sort of genres that you particularly go towards when you're looking for a read, or are you quite an open reader? I mean, I lo- I do love fantasy. That's probably the the, okay. the area that in which Greg and I differ the most. I think in that I'm a I'm a big I'm a big fantasy fan. 
Um, so, you know, if there was a, if there was sort of a book that I would consider to be kind of transformative in my life, it's probably the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings, which I, I, I count as one book, even though it's technically four books, Yes, but it's sort of one, it's one big spilling out of one very extraordinary man's head who happened to have an entire universe just uh, rattling around in there. Um, so yeah, fantasy is a, is a, is a genre that I kind of go to. I've done a, done a bit of rereading of, um, you know, the Earthsea Quartet, oh, uh, yes, which I think yeah. are amazing. And there was a um, <laughs> there was a fun fantasy series called The Belgariad by David Eddings, which is kind of a like a, a well, I guess it was aimed at teenagers. I read it when I was a teen, and I've uh, and I've reread that quite recently. So yeah, I think you know, as we were sort of saying earlier on, reading is such a valuable escape, and uh, where better yes. to escape to than somewhere completely imaginary? So yeah, that's my um, if I'm looking for a real you know, get away from the world, then, uh, yeah, I like to get away from the world <laughs> and go into a different one. <laughs> Just two different types of travel then. We've got historical travel by the sounds of it and then travel to other imaginary lands. It's, you know, there's a there's a theme there. It's there's funny, I've, ju- I've just sort of clicked how we've come up with our next book. It's a very, very much... Um... It kind it's of a, is, it's yeah. a mixture of both those interests, really. It's going to be a fantastic, it's going to be a fantasy book, but it, we're going to root some of it actually we're going to try to root some of it in your specific oh, moments from history and, and move the book around the world a little bit well yeah as uh, as as someone once said the past is a foreign country well and yes yeah. very wise very wise i think it was lt hartley and the go-between we'll have to come up with a better title than that okay, okay. yeah okay. yeah sure. so we heard you we're getting the we're getting the insight into the into yeah. the into the next book already it's exclusive already well, before we move on, we will in a moment start talking about Super Ghost and your collaboration on books. But the next question I have is a big question, a question I always feel slightly guilty for asking people because I would struggle to answer it myself, but is a book that changed your life, which I appreciate is a big thing to ask of a book. I've spoken to authors before who say that, you know, they feel every book in some way has, you know, in ways that they can't measure or know about has in some way probably changed the way they think or do something mm. or whatever. But I'm interested to know what your response to that question is, even if it is to push back and say, how dare you ask that question? Oh, yeah. First of all, how dare you ask that question? Dare you? I mean, I think I, I suppose I sort of partly answered it with, with Lord of the Rings because it, it, um, it, it did kind of, um, it's very inspiring just to think you can make up absolutely anything, <laughs> you know, and the fact that, um, you know, Tolkien was a, was a kind of scholar of ancient Norse and, and all sorts of ancient legends and had everything kind of, you know, all these old words and old myths kind of rattling around. They just thought I can just do whatever I like with these mm. and, you know, make up a map of a, of an imaginary place and make up the languages and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And just go, I can just write this. I once saw um, the great, uh, Sir Quentin Blake doing a doing a live um, illustration, and he said very much the same thing about illustrating. You know, the great thing about drawing is you can have whatever you like. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I just love that about writing as well. Mm-hmm. You can have whatever you like. And I suppose it was it was Tolkien that that opened my eyes to that possibility. So I think that's relatively life changing. Yeah, yes. that sounds uh, life changing. I'm going to give a slightly strange answer. I think, and I think it's a surprising book. Because it's not necessarily the book that changed my life. Because it's it's good, but it's not. Yeah, it's Hemingway's Chair by Michael Palin. Okay. Yep. And the reason I've chosen this is because well, Chris and I are both completely obsessed and in love with Michael Palin. True. 
We actually thanked him in the acknowledgement for one of the kid normal books. <laughs> just, said, just said thanks to Michael Palin for being Michael Palin. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> so we'd you know grown up watching him be funny. Then we'd seen him acting, and then we maybe read some of the diaries. And I'd say yeah. the diaries are quite were quite inspirational for for both of us for different reasons. But when I read his novel, I thought this is a man that really can do lots of different things and it's absolutely okay that you can do lots of different things as long as you mean them and that you work hard at them and I just found that very inspiring that he'd somehow just gone oh yeah I'm not the Michael Palin you might think I, I'm not just the, the kindly travel man or I'm the silly man who did Monty Python I can also write a really really great novel so that was I guess just inspiring in that way and I read it and thought wow God, you can sort of gave us the what gave me the confidence to think. Oh, I could I could write a book then if I if I really mean it and we work at it. So yeah, there you go. He sort of reinvented himself several times, like Madonna mm. or Lady Gaga. But, I, but the yeah. other thing, yeah, that's true. I just but I think he's always had that in him, but he has just had the courage of his conviction to go. Yeah, well, I know I can do this, and I've got a great story in my head, and I I'm going to go and write a book about a ship now. He's a man who wears many hats, isn't he? He wears mm. many hats, including the Spanish Inquisition hat. <laughs> <laughs> and they fit really well, you do. I'd say. So, yeah. Well, and so jumping off that then, as you talk about that inspiration of someone who says, you know, y- you can do all these things. You don't have to just sort of focus on one thing. And uh, Michael Palin's writing, is that is that where the first ideas came from then, of, of this collaboration of you two writing books together? Well, we were working on the radio together. And um, Greg was the presenter, obviously, uh, and I was the I was the newsreader because I'm by far the most serious and level-headed. Uh, of course, the news, the news kick, the news, yes, the news kick. And um, we did a um, we did a podcast together in in which we kind of came up with lots of crazy characters and mad scenarios, and we sort of realised that we, you know, enjoyed doing that. No, I guess, you know, at least as much as the, <laughs> certainly more than the news, but, um, you know, as much as the other stuff on the radio. And, and um, it didn't have a home, really, because uh, you can't just go on radio and, do, and do crazy madcap characters like, you know, the Butter Monster, because uh, everyone would wonder what on earth was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided we, we, we would like to try and write it down in a story. We decided we would write a story for children because, well, for two reasons, really, M- mostly because our sense of humor is aged about 10 so we just wrote a book for ourselves, and it turned into a children's Perfect, book. Perfect, yeah. Um, but also, it's the um, it's the age that we remembered really being obsessed with reading, and, and the age that reading is such a really, really important lifeline for you. And we love that mm. kind of, you know, underneath the duvet with a torch, you get really obsessed yeah. with a yeah, book yeah, yeah. when you're that age. You know, it, it is the 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 age when to to not coin a phrase, books really do change your life. You know, they're 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 such a such a great piece of company for you and they're a way of finding out about the world and an escape from you know a a world that you know perhaps now more than ever can seem a little bit scary and a little bit intimidating and um that's what we decided to do and we we chucked around a few ideas and chucked many of them in the bin (laughs) and suddenly came up with kid normal uh and, and knew that we had a nice idea because um we thought well surely it's been done so we googled it immediately and just came up with lots of websites that said is my kid normal but it hadn't, you know, it didn't out that hadn't been done. And, and really, we found that, you know, we chatted it through in the park uh, and, and discovered that we had, you know, pretty much the whole plot of the first book just kind of spilled out of us that, that, that first evening, really. So we wrote it down as quickly as possible. 
before it fluttered off. And yeah, just went from there, I guess. Mm. I think we love the challenge of trying something new because we've yeah. done so much fun stuff together on the radio and that had worked, that particular dream of ours of being on the radio and doing funny stuff. You go, oh, wow, wow it, it happened because we gave it a go, loved it and worked at it. And then there's this, there is a challenge in trying something that's really frightening and we were frightened about writing a book because it does feel daunting when you're at the foot of the mountain. You think, how are we going to, how is that going to be there? But it was something that was really enjoyable and it really helped that we were doing it together, I think, as well. Because if one of us got panicked about an idea being rubbish or a character not quite being right, yes, we could go, oh, yeah, well, let's work that through a little bit. And we've always collaborated and I love working collaboratively with with everyone, really. I, I love the idea of come up, coming up with an idea together. It's rewarding and really enjoyable. The process of writing these books is the whole the whole reason why we do them, really, because it's it's great fun. And just going, right, well, today we're not children's authors, but in a year, I reckon we can be, actually, because at some point, every author wasn't an author. So there, there is always that moment for everybody. Yes. So we thought, let's let's give it a go. And how did that, I'm, I'm interested in how it works out, because as you pointed out, you know, it was nice that you had each other for support during that, because, yeah, it must be a scary thing, you know, writing something down and thinking, oh, eventually people are actually going to read this beyond, you know, a sort of small, small circle. Yes, the author having your homework marked, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I think most people picture someone on their own writing. What, what was actually in terms of, you know, writing the words down? What was the process between you two? You know, do I've heard of people throwing back, you know, sections to each other and one looks over it. What was the, the actual process like for the both of you? Well, I mean, pretty, pretty collaborative, really. I mean, back in those heady pre-pandemic days, we were able to go and sit in a meeting room or sit in the pub yes. uh, and literally pa- pass the laptop between us. So, you know, we would take it in turns to do a bit of writing and then and um, we would pace about the room and act out the characters together. Um, since the, um, the these rather less heady post-pandemic days, more of it's <laughs> done in, on Zoom now. Right, got, okay, you know, yes. that's, uh, As we've written in the acknowledgements to, to Super Ghost, actually, we wrote, um, thanks, thanks to Zoom, we um, couldn't have written this book without you, but we never want to see you again. <laughs> so, you know, but, but it's the same thing because we work on a um, on a on an online platform where you can write. You know, either one of you can be typing at any one time. Um, you know, it, it it works surprisingly well. Mm. And and uh, as you say, you know, quite rightly, writing is often perceived as quite a solitary occupation. You know, there's the sort of trope of the of the lonely writer in a in a Parisian garret, yeah. possibly wearing a scarf. Yeah, and certainly being hungry, and um, <laughs> we kind of felt that um, all those things are true. We, we just both do those. We things. just both yes. do those things. Neither of us has any tea. A scarf each, we, <laughs> uh, a croque monsieur each. Um, but, yeah. but we just thought, you know, lot, lot, you know, like I mean, go back to um, to the comedy that we both love. You know, Faulty Towers is is written collaboratively. Mm. Um, you know, many yes. you know songs and films, everything and plays are, are written collaboratively. So we we saw no reason why not. <laughs> yeah, the, a book. The, the, I, I, always, I think this because we, we do talk about this quite a bit, that the question actually should be, why the hell are you writing a book on your own? That's mad. It's a madness. And I get it, obviously, I, I'm being silly, but there should be more books written by more than one person. It's, a, it's the generation of ideas for, to make anything creative is so exciting. And having someone there with you, not just an editor who ultimately will, you know, fiddle around with it, but someone at the point of 
creating your main character or the world that you're writing about is really exciting. And we, we get, we get so much pleasure out of one of us going, right. So who, who is our main guy? Who is this? What do they look like? What do they sound like? And then we'll do the voice and then we'll say some dialogue and then we'll scribble that down. So yeah, we have always loved comedy and we have always loved drama and theater and all the rest of it. So the idea of lots of people's brains on an idea is really great. That's what I'm, I will say most of the sort of solo authors I've spoken to, I think would, would agree with you because almost all of them say that the hardest part is, you know, sitting alone for hours on end mm. and um, sort of going a little bit crazy. I think, you know, some of them say, yeah, and- it gives you so much confidence, you know, the, the, the confidence of having a, of having a co-author to be able to say, no, you know, we can make that a bit, we make that idea a bit bigger, make that battle a bit bigger, mm. make that villain a little bit sillier, yes. you know, make that hero a little bit more heroic, make that plot a little bit more dramatic, make mm. that, you know, make that catastrophe a little bit more catastrophic. And you just have that, have that confidence to, to, to kind of, you know, push each other a little bit further. Yeah. yeah. And you'll bring your own personalities to it. And Chris and I have very, have lots of similarities in what we like and what, how we work, but there are, we're very different as well. So having those two um, approaches on a, a piece of work we think can only be a good thing. Yes. And it sounds like, you know, I think something people would say, you know, about your books and what's been so wonderful about them, why they've been so well received is there's a, a great sort of energy and liveliness to them. And it's just interesting you hear you talk about you two sort of, you'll do a voice and then you'll write it down and it being very centered in sort of performance that it kind of starts with the performance and then, gets kind of put on the page it's interesting because again you don't come across that you know again it's you you know when people think of that solo um writer they think of someone kind of doing it all in their head probably with a very stern expression on their face mm. where they very seriously write down it's a great image you two sort of you know just bouncing off each other while you're while, yeah. you're, while you're doing this it's very important to us that we're there with our readers yes i think it's very very important that we're there with them just to say, this is an exciting bit, this is a sad bit, and we, we like being there in the books. Absolutely. And talking of the books, your latest one, Super Ghost, comes out on uh, September 15th. For those listening who would be interested in reading it or, or giving it to someone, what is Super Ghost? Well, as you were kind enough to say earlier on, we had some success with the Kid Normal series in the, say, yes. in the world of superheroes. Um, and we've returned to the world of superheroes for this book, but um, there is definitely there is definitely a twist to this story, and you often get a twist at the at the end of the story. <laughs> this one has a twist at the beginning, and the the title may suggest to you what happens, but um, very sadly, the uh, the hero, Doctor Extraordinary, the superhero, uh, is blown up inside a giant robot in in chapter one. <laughs> So uh, we kind of start off with with a bit of a a bit of a jaw dropper, I mm. think possibly, although you know handled in our normal, very uh, very silly way. But then we we home in on our, our actual hero of the story, who is a kid called Sonny, who was Doctor Extraordinary's number one fan. Uh, can't believe that his hero is no longer around, but is then even more surprised to find that um, he can see the ghost of his uh, of his hero, and he's the only person who can see the ghost of his hero. So it gave us lots of. Um, Lots of really interesting things to play with because we, you know, we, we, we like the idea of this sort of like choose who your heroes are 
And, you know, Sonny learns a lot in the book about which are the smart heroes to choose, <laughs> I guess, as him and, uh, uh, and Dr. Extraordinary work out whether they can save the city one last time from an invasion of terrifying robot pandas. For example, Sonny idolizes Dr. Extraordinary and discounts his dad as a potential hero. And that was a really interesting relationship for us to plan out and write and explore and go, what, why, why is it that kids at some point, they love their parents. I think their parents are brilliant. It's a certain age and they go, oh, boring, boring job. Like, look. But his dad's <laughs> yeah. a police officer. He works for, uh, for Paragon City Police Department. But Doctor Extraordinary is way better, way more exciting. He, he's got super strength. He can, you know, do all these things. So we that that's a really nice relationship that we explore in the in the story. And also, we love messing around with the tropes of superhero yes, stories. Yeah, yeah. And we did that a lot with Kid Normal. Yep. And making those very dramatic, grand moments where the superheroes on the edge of the cliff delivering a speech to the, everybody and he does a ridiculous malapropism is exactly what we love to do so messing with i mean we've literally got it on the back when chris told when chris said how about this for a tagline don't worry the hero doesn't die at the end of the story he dies right at the beginning i went yes that's it <laughs> sold that's it sold do it um, yeah. but my uh, a very important question is what what do you have against pandas why why robot pandas <laughs> well we um we we thought um the the panda was possibly the the, the loveliest and least threatening of all the animals <laughs> so so we wanted to we have this um we have this rather unhinged deputy supervillain uh, who was originally called anapodium but now has begun to call herself pandemonium and uh, she has now taken over the, the, the evil empire that's left vacant by um, Dr. Extraordinary's nemesis, who was also inside the robot when it blew up. And um, so we just thought, very similar to sort of Nectar and Kid Normal, who was half human, half wasp. We, we like the, uh, the kind of the fun of, you know, messing around with a, with a villain who is, who is obsessed with animals. And mm. we thought the panda is sort of the most, you know, the fluffiest, the nicest of all the bears, really, isn't it? You know, yeah, 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 definitely up there. Yeah. And the most monochrome. Yeah, there's there's something really fun about writing those supervillains that are idiotic <laughs> or or they just get in their own way. I mean, Pandemonium just gets in her own way by limiting herself to being bad just through pandas. Just through the medium of the yeah. medium of panda. <laughs> so that, that just makes us laugh and we think... Oh, well, look, there's so many funny panda puns you can do, bamboo jokes, ridiculous things that will hopefully make kids and adults laugh when they're reading it. And they go, yeah, this really, this really came out of somewhere very silly in their heads. <laughs> that's, that's sort of what we want people to say about these books. And of course, you know, as uh, for children, you know, reading, I think villains in stories are, I don't know, they can be quite cathartic for children to read mm. villains because you know when you're a kid and you're frustrated at someone or whatever you know it's an intense emotion i can imagine you know reading about these villains kind of it it's very cathartic for them and yeah it is i mean that's a great point i think a, a, a lot of villains are quite childlike really yeah yes. absolutely yeah, yeah. certainly you know captain chaos and indeed pandemonium in this in this yeah. book it's the it's that you know, they're like overgrown toddlers. Really, mm. they just <laughs> like they just like causing chaos. It's exactly what like a mm. kind of 
you know, a, a really pumped up, high on sugar toddler yeah. would do is like given the power. I go, yes, I will invade Paragon City with tiny robot pandas. And really relatable in that in in that way because we did a session the other day, and a kid on the front row asked a question about one of our villains from Kid Normal series, Magpie. Yeah, and this kid loved Magpie. He was he really related to Magpie because he was the the supervillain that wanted to steal, like magpies do, all the other powers from all the uh, superheroes yes. yeah, and yeah. have them for himself. And that is, as you're saying, Chris, childlike behavior. No, I want all the toys because if I have all the toys, I win because I've got all the power. But of course, magpie doesn't win because that's not how it works. Yes. He was outsmarted by a, a small boy, a legend called Murph Cooper, who we love with all our heart. We all have the superhero villain within us. Mm. And we have, you know, we all have those you know, childish instincts. And I suppose yeah. that's one of the great lessons of, you know, reading is that you yeah, have yeah, yeah. to... Well, you, you're, you're broadcasting from your supervillain's lair. I am, yeah. You've, you've built yourself a, the, a supervillain shed. The horrible plots that have been made in this shed are <laughs> shocking. We can only imagine. Absolutely, absolutely shocking. Well, I think that's brought us to a close. Super Ghost is available at Mostly Books and on our website and, of course, at your local bookshop across the country and the world. But one final question is I thought, I'm sure a typical question you've probably got many times before is what superpower you would choose for yourself. It feels quite a common one. I'm wondering what superpower you would give to the other. So Chris, which superpower oh, would you give to a, Greg and which, and vice versa? That's a very good question. I know that um, my dear friend Greg likes cheese very, very much. <laughs> so I, I think... The superpower that I would choose for him is that there is a, a small but very well-stocked cheese shop <laughs> on wheels, which simply follows him round. And so wherever he is, uh, he, he only needs to turn his head, and there is the door to a cheesemonger's right <laughs> oh, behind wow. him. Okay, okay. My, the superpower I will bestow on my good friend Chris Smith is the power to dive into any fantasy novel he wants Ooh. and pick whatever character he'd like to be. And he is that character for a day. Lovely. You get a day as your favorite character in your favorite book. Lovely. I will be Samwise Gamgee and I'll go and have some ales at the Green Dragon. There you go. And I will dance with Rosie Cotton. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> wow. So the gift of being able to go into any fantasy book and the gift of constantly being followed around by a small cheese shop <laughs> stalked by cheese kind of yeah. made it sound creepy there <laughs> no no i no i didn't i didn't mean to i'm sure it that's that's a lovely power jack can i say two things before yes. we go before you wrap us up um thank you to you and all the amazing independent booksellers that sell our books and all the books in the world in, a, in an increasingly online weird world where mega corporations take the lion's share of things you are legends to us and thank uh and thank you so much we always love walking around the lovely independent bookshops wherever we go so thank you for that and also venice for pleasure is the name of the book oh venice um, for pleasure. Okay. it's by jg links and is really Ooh. fun and sweet venice for pleasure well, on that note, I feel I should mention Super Ghost one more time, just so Venice for Pleasure isn't the last thing mentioned on your... No, on no, the get Venice for Pleasure, obviously. Yes. We can do an omnibus edition of both. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put both together. Chris Smith, Greg James, thank you so much for joining us on Mostly Books Meets. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. 
All of the books mentioned during the podcast are available to buy from the Mostly Books website. This podcast has been presented and produced by members of the team at Mostly Books in Abingdon. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe because apparently it helps people find us.